welcome back to Deep Focus. My name's Quaid, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick. How you doing today, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. We watched uh, Overlord today. We did, and we're going to get pretty much straight into yeah. it. So, spoiler warning, it is a genre film with twists and turns. So, if that's your sort of thing, you might want to watch before you listen to us. Yep. Um, this is a 2018 movie. You suggested that we watch this for this episode. We had both seen it before, though. Um, yeah. What's the reason it stuck with you? You know, I, I, I think I really love, um, actually there's two things. I, I really love when a non-sci-fi or like a film that you don't expect to be sci-fi turns sci-fi. Sure. Right. Um, I hadn't seen, I, I think I'd seen like one trailer for this, um, and they didn't really show off that it was sci-fi. Okay. Yeah. You know, so I, I went in this kind of expecting a world war two film, you know, and then like, to get the whole like kind of Wolfenstein-esque thing pulled over you uh, okay. was r- really cool in my opinion. Interesting. Um, I, uh, I had seen plenty of trailers before I watched it. I didn't even watch it in theaters. I had some okay. friends who seen it in theaters and they sort of poo-pooed it to me. So I waited to watch oh. it until it was on streaming and I pretty much enjoyed it uh, mm. a fair bit. Um, but I definitely knew it was doing the whole Nazi zombie bit um yeah yeah going into it but uh, yeah i found it very enjoyable um i am uh, also a fan of a good genre film so right right um and that's actually the other thing that i really liked about it is um and this is something that i've always thought would be really interesting is to bring uh bring the horror genre to other genres right Mm. um so instead of having it be like you know killer in the forest or whatever um, you can have a wartime movie and have it be filmed like a horror movie. Yeah. You know, and what I really liked is that even kind of like the war scenes were filmed like they were a horror film. Yeah. You know, um, and just that kind of like small difference in treatment, I think gives this a uh, very different psychological outlook for the audience in terms of connecting with the character. Yeah. Right. Um, which I, I thought was really effective in this film, um, whether that was intentional or not, uh, you know, who knows. But uh, that's something that I've always thought would be really cool is to um, kind of take these uh, treatment, just kind of these like standard treatments in horror films, um, which I believe are extremely effective at um, emulating fear, right? Yeah. Um. But it's funny because they're almost they're like exclusive to horror films. Like you don't you don't see other filmmakers touch them because they're like they see them as like cliche or something, right? Sure. Um, but I think it's really cool to be able to add that kind of thing to your tool belt and then use it in a film that's not necessarily like, you know, uh, teenagers at a lake getting killed by a monster. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is um, nice. I wonder what is the last, you know, if I was more of a cinephile, I'd probably know this, but what was the last Nazi zombie film? Because you have to imagine, like, a lot of these were probably made in terms of, like, exploitation films. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's pretty cool that a film like this was made at the quality that it was. Um, Especially considering the essentially no names involved. I mean, you really don't see a blockbuster like this getting made with no name actors, you know. They might have mm-hmm. been in some indie thing beforehand, but essentially they're not celebrities. Um, right. And with a director, Julius Avery, by the way, 
who had only done one movie before this. I believe it's called Son of a Gun. I saw that. He's probably done other movies, frankly, but one well-known movie uh, yeah. with Ian McGregor, which I saw Australian, I believe, movie. Uh, that was pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. You don't see that a lot. You have a, a fairly what could be a yeah. polarizing concept, and then you have the the cool thing they did, which is a chance of going, hey, let's do a war movie uh, shot as a horror movie and with horror elements. Um, that does not seem like a movie that you would normally be able to get made in a studio system. Right, <laughs> you just get shot down in the in the pitching room. Yeah, but um, the production talent behind it, the producing talent, maybe that's our our answer. I mean, it's J.J. Abrams mm-hmm. and essentially his crew of producers. So right, right. You know, he's got a he's yeah. got enough power to swing around. So maybe that's the reason. Um, I actually also. Um, one of the things that I really love about this film is the uh, the kind of like action choreography. And I, I actually always appreciate this in films. And I actually, have we even talked about this on the podcast yet? Because I'm huge on this. I think we have um, in terms of like uh, when we went over John Wick stuff previously. But go okay. ahead. I mean, we can, we'll revisit it just because it's been a while. Yeah, but rehash it. Go like ahead. I'm a huge fan, a huge, huge fan of really good action. And I don't mean that in like a... You know, I like to shut my brain off and watch some action once in a while. I mean, like, sure. I, I truly believe that action can be artistic, yeah. right? And sometimes with action, you can tell more about a character than a scene of dialogue. No, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And uh, this was, uh, that's been foreign to Western films and Western audiences for a long time. Um, and you'd even have, you know, in scripts, entire action scenes written out in two words right they fight period and then they just hire some random action choreographer and then they just let him have free reign sure right and on top of that the action choreographer isn't even a uh, department head okay right when i would say like an action choreographer in an action movie should be as much of a department head as a dance choreographer is in a dancing movie you know like, it doesn't make sense to me that the action choreographer wouldn't be there around the table, you know, helping make big decisions. Okay. Right. Um, and just to jump over to Game of Thrones, and if uh, you haven't watched it and you don't want spoilers, skip ahead 30 seconds. But uh, <laughs> in the episode, The Long Night, um, a lot of people were upset about uh, characters having, like, plot armor. Right. And uh, essentially, like, what I equated that to was just how long the shoot was right i think it was like 37 nights or something right and they had like five different action choreographers right yeah so while one saw these things as like world war z style zombies like you know crawling like running over each other and stampeding and diving with no concern for their own physical well-being and like cutting off the heads of um uh the unsullied right and then, like, another action choreographer who th- saw them more as, like, very non-lethal Walking Dead-type zombies that could, like, mob around people and not really do anything. Yeah. You know? And that's not plot armor. That's just um, that's just a, an oversight, I think, in Western thinking about action in general. Right? Where they don't see these action choreographers as being important enough on set to warrant a position. Right. In the higher up in like the higher echelons of the production. Um, but in reality, especially especially with a, an episode like that, where like everything is 
um, action based or like a film like this where like so much revolves around the action. Um, I think it's really important to have a good action choreographer and have them be an important person on set. Sure. You know, um, but anyways, back to, back to, uh, overlord here, uh, which we were talking about this before, but we hate the title. It has like, I don't know why it's called overlord. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's just, it, it doesn't have anything to do with it and it's very forgettable, but literally nothing to do uh, with it whatsoever. Right. <laughs> But anyways, back to Overlord. Um, they have a uh, an array of extremely well thought out action scenes, and I, I love kind of like the brutality in them. And like it, it doesn't matter if it's uh, it doesn't matter if it's like kind of gunfights from far away or like kind of just really close uh, quarters stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, like one of my favorite scenes in particular is the one where uh, they have the like general tied up in the attic and. Uh, the one photographer guy comes up to check if he's, you know, uh, or to get him down and like, he thinks he's dead and he like cuts him down. And, like the guy attacks him. Um, I, I love that scene. It's, it's so simple, but, um, it feels extremely chaotic and just some, like something that, uh, would actually happen. Right. And it happens without regard for, um, any sort of uh, glorification of any of the action or anything like that. It just happens. Yeah. Right. Um, It actually really reminds me of, uh, of uh, kind of the way that Denny Villeneuve does action. Mm. Right. Where like, if you look at, like if you looked at that scene and you looked at like the first scene from Blade Runner, I think there's actually a lot of similarities. Yeah. I completely agree with you there. Um, I, uh, I don't think I, dwelt on this as long as you did but i definitely took note rewatching it just the the gunplay i'm a huge fan of uh good gunplay in movies mm-hmm. and just the sense of how things feel how characters are reacting to things how things sound how the impacts go and this sort of thing and while watching this i was like damn there's some really fantastic gunplay in this film everything between the sound of the guns the way the characters act around the weapons the quickness of it mm. Uh, and I, I thought I was like, well, watching, I was like, man, this is like, this is so close to being like Sicario level of gunplay. Um, right. Right. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think, I actually think the one thing keeping it from being Sicario level gunplay is just the sheer volume of it. Yeah. You know, they do. Where, they like, I think, work, but... yeah, <laughs> I think, I think the reason that Sicario feels so incredible, uh, when it happens is because it literally is like 30 seconds of the film right in the middle yeah. And they don't glorify it. They don't slow it down. They don't make it like this extravagant moment. Yeah, this is definitely um, a blockbuster. You know, it's like a, it, right, it's got right. a lighter feel to it, even though it's about, you know, Nazi zombies. There's a lighter, more humorous right. tone in this movie. Sicario's not that definitely. way. Our main guy murders no. <laughs> children. So in that movie. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, in this one, like, I, I'd say there is a little bit of like Hollywoodization where, you know, you kind of have these characters able to stick to higher moral standards because the plot allows them to, you know, where like they might have died. Um, usually, you know, kind, kind oh. of like even, even the part where like the guy's running out to save the kid and he comes back and gets shot. Yeah. You know? And he lives. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, like that's a nice moment and everything, but uh, you know, just having that kid walking out onto the battlefield and stuff. Like it does, it does kind of feel a little Hollywoody, 
Yeah, that's you know? definitely the point of this um, movie, though. I don't, I don't hold it against it. Like, that's no, sort of baked into the cake of what this is supposed to be. Right. But um, yeah. Now the first time I saw this in theaters, and uh, there was that kind of that scene in the airplane at the beginning where uh, you know, they're getting shot by the flat cannons. Yeah. Um, that that totally like threw me off for what I thought the movie was going to be, or like how the movie was going to like be treated this is ladies and gentlemen this is why you do not watch trailers if you can if you can get away with it (laughs) yeah um but it like it it just shocked me because like i was used to a lot of these other like uh you know other types of war films that are so uh they're a little more calm you know they're more of a slow burn Mm-hmm. You know, you might you might have that like one stray bullet come through and hit the guy in the head for like shock value, but like the sheer amount of like chaos and the sound design, especially, I, I thought that was something that was amazing in this film. Oh yeah, I wanted to you talk know? about that um, as well. Yeah, yeah, um, but kind of creating this this uh, creating this element of chaos with the uh, um with the camera and the sound and the effects and like kind of following the main character around and turning the scene more so into like um what i would imagine would be in a horror film right um than a war film right yeah it's it's Um, very good yeah but you know you know even going on what you were talking about how it differentiates itself um differentiates itself from other war movies um it's always really enjoyable i've talked to you about this privately but as much as i love a good war movie you know um what was like the last big one 1917 or something like they do all have that same thing in common of like this sort of presence of isn't this all so horrible isn't this like uh also regretful and it's not that it isn't right but there's an aspect of like i would i wish i could relish this even if it was from a more uh, negative point of view, like being scared of it, like it's a horror movie. You know what I mean? I right. wish I wasn't reminded of the tragedy constantly. Not, like not yeah, every yeah, like movie the, has the to do that. Treatment almost has like a somber tone. Exactly. Like I wish there was yeah. a little bit. If there was other variety available to me, and this definitely does fill that, um, because you right. do get those really cool war scenes as well as those cool horror scenes. You know, and uh, it's nice to have that because uh, you don't get that often. Right. Like. Um, you know, of course, when you're watching this movie, you have to think of Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> you just do. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking about that, too, after I watched it. I was like, that's one of the main reasons why I loved that movie so much when I had initially watched it is it was like a war movie with like legitimate war scenes in it. Um, mm-hmm. However, it didn't make it didn't have the somber tone. Right. That, like that's the inverse of what Tarantino was going for. It was like this sort right. of rejoiceful. Thing. and that that's it's really nice to have that variety and uh, i wish there was more i think that's a moral thing as well like uh how i always yeah. talk about the moral center of the film and that's just something sure. in general in all filmmaking that i'm sort of just desiring more and more of is like could we please have some diversity in the sort of like moral universes that these films take place in and uh this yeah. is definitely if... one of those and that even ties into the message of yeah, this yeah. film which we can talk about later but this is definitely one of those films that provides a little bit of that diversity in that, in that element. Yeah. And and I kind of wonder if, uh, with, with directors when they do tackle a war film, cause, cause I feel like most directors that make war films haven't actually been in war. Yeah. 
And I kind of wonder if that's why they take this somber tone. Cause like they, they kind of approach it from the only perspective that they have of it. Right. Which is an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Um, because, because I, I just feel like when you're, when you're in the heat of battle, right. Um, I, I would assume that there's not really enough time to be somber and to like reflect in an objective way about the travesties of war. No. Right. Um, but Hey, did you ever watch tackling uh, a war movie? I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah. Did you ever watch that documentary? I forget what it was. It was the something Valley or something uh, that, you know, the, like the number one hot zone in the Iraq or Afghanistan war. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. Well, essentially it was just a documentary crew that went and filmed with these guys on their deployment and their deployment was something like it was around nine months, I think. And you know, they're in the hot zone, which is like, they're fighting nearly on a daily basis. They're trading bullets. Right, right. And it was, it's one of the greatest documentaries because while there is a somber tone to it, you do see an aspect of war that people really don't want to admit to, which is like guys like cheering their asses off and laughing after they just machine gunned down a guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But right, it's right. like, yeah, that yeah. guy was shooting at them and like this is their daily, you know, their daily struggle. You know, they're so I, I yeah, I just yeah. would like that diversity in films from the, the moral center. Y- yeah. They're, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And like, I think that there's a, there's this kind of like, like nobility and somberness in a lot of war films. And have you ever seen, have you ever seen Barry? Yeah. The, the, the HBO show. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, and they actually touch on this a little bit where like they have kind of like the expectation of a war story. Yeah. The where, somber like, when, expat when te- sort of. Yeah. 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 And then, and then they like cut to the reality of reality of it in Barry's head. And like, he could, he could never like tell these people, um, that you know, he the, just, kind, yeah. the kinds of ways that they actually felt and, you know, stuff there. Um, but, uh, the way that he tells it is kind of like, he, he like rips that heart, that, uh, that, uh, monologue from Braveheart sure uh, yeah that great scene <laughs> you know and, and i think that that's actually kind of a um I, I think the thinking behind that is synonymous to what we're saying yeah right there's now. that whole scene right where he's like uh they're talking about how killing someone's like the worst thing ever and he's like well i fucking killed someone. right and they're like well you were in a war you know it's like this hilarious <laughs> right, exchange right. um but that's right. really what it is <laughs> i mean that they encapsulate it so perfectly yeah. maybe um yeah to even backtrack for a second and then bring it back, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, what you were talking about, fight choreography, East versus West. Now, I got my my hair stuck up on my neck and I, I wanted to say something akin to, uh, well, maybe that's only because we watch the best out of the East instead of the generic, whereas we watch everything in the West, right? You know, um, that's very fair. And yeah. it's valid, but I think you also do have a good point. I think there's a heart, a base to the point you're making that there is some truth in that, that the West... Um, the fight fight choreography and everything. Cause what I'm about to say is I think um, maybe this isn't really centered around cinema or anything, but I think there isn't really a place for, we don't really have a place for the warrior anymore in our culture. In and Western so culture. Exactly. Yeah, no, you're right. So like it's either presented from the, at this very sad angle or this very demonized angle. And there's no in between, there's no being able to understand it from point of humanity. There's no being able to embrace it either because it's too horrific uh, for you know this culture yeah so well, I, I think it i think that might have to do like just going back into history that might have to do with like kind of di- the different cultures mentality on warriors in general right where in the west you have this kind of like brutish realist as is the warrior yeah right 
and then in in the east uh warriors were tied very uh tied very closely to philosophy Mm. right so i think in terms of kind of like the eastern warrior philosopher um not to say that like they weren't brutal or you know had their um realist tendencies but like um there there was a lot more uh philosophy intertwined with um just violence in general in the east in my opinion where yeah. i i think in the west violence is always seen as like a brutal no bars uh no bars held like zero sum game very realist yeah yeah exactly um and and it was like it, it's always been um distasteful to um the like a I'd say you got a you got a point there. I'd also you know, point out that I think technology has a lot to do with it, and also this the the comfort, sure. the sort of materialistic comfort that Western societies really haven't had um, to fight a war in a century, like a real war. Oh, you know what I mean? Sorry, the the word that I was thinking of was bureaucratic. Kind of like you have the bureaucratic class that is often separate from the warrior class in like European history. Yeah, right. Um, whereas in Eastern history, they were very much intertwined, right? Sure. Um, like, like the it's like when you look at Japan, for example, the uh, feudalism, the ruling class was yeah. the warrior class. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and it but, stayed that uh, way a lot longer, right? You know, you know, yeah. it, when you look at European history, that was essentially done away with monarchy quite a while ago. So, right. But that's kind of what I mean is like to extrapolate that out to present day. Yeah. Um, I think that's why you see a lot more, um, kind of more profound action in the East. Whereas in the West, you do get things like, Oh, they fight period. And then the action choreographer comes in and makes some ridiculous 10 minute fight scene. Yeah. You know, it's also, Um, you know, it also has to reflect uh, back upon the artists themselves period. You know, we're talking about society right now. As opposed to yeah, we're the, being very general. Exactly, as opposed <laughs> to the individuals that are actually making these decisions, and I do think there's something to be said about the warrior. Surprisingly enough, I'm about to say this about Hollywood of all of all places, the warrior mm-hmm. just may not capture the imagination of these people, um, in the same way that it might have in a different age. So sure, yeah. Anyways, I was going to bring that back relating to what we started that off. I don't know. Take it from here. Save me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, um, but anyways, the way that this kind of ties back into, and, and you were talking about this too, but like the gunplay and the action in Overlord, uh, I think I think they take a very uh very brutal, realist uh I, I think an- one of my favorite gun gunplay scenes was when the uh when they were just up on the hill uh shooting all the Nazis that were coming out of the bunker. Yeah. Uh, these these two characters and like they had the machine gun and the sniper up there and it was just it was so like uh the way it was sh- the way it was shot the way that like um the sound design worked like all of it just came together and it was very an extremely brutal scene mm-hmm. you know but um th- there was nothing somber about it no right um think and, of oh, the yeah, that's uh, what we were talking about the great the, scene the kind of somberness in Oh yeah, war movies. Yeah, um, but think of the yeah. scene. Uh, the one scene that I really like in terms of the violence the most is the the quickest, I think, which is the one where the uh, the captain, the the Nazi captain mm-hmm. who's in charge of the soldiers at this secret science lab slash radio 
tower yeah um is escaping from being captive uh in an attic and he runs out the door with a hostage and they have that quick little exchange with the nazi soldiers that are oh yeah you know and it's so quick but yet the brutalness of it but without the somberness is it's something i really like (laughs) Uh, yeah well i think it's a lot more it's a lot more honest right like I, i think there's like when you when you look at the somberness the somber nature and like the noble nature of the way that war is treated uh in a lot of war movies mm-hmm. right I, I think that there's just something so like uh false about it yeah right like because because and it like pulls you out of the film a lot in my opinion because it it's really just uh i feel like it's really just the director grandstanding right mm-hmm. and they're doing that because they haven't been in war. They have no firsthand experience in it. So they kind of use that ex- as an excuse to like be bringing this like outside of perspective. What if a soldier really you know? liked being at war? You know what I mean? Would that make him a monster? Yeah, exactly. You know, that's sort of just my point. Like <laughs> what if there's people out there, which there are that fucking love being in war? I mean, is that so bad? I don't know. I've told Nick this, but I sort yeah. of want to make it like a, a pro-war movie <laughs> like just do the complete <laughs> inverse honestly um yeah i think it'd be fun um well i mean wasn't uh was i feel like the hurt locker was like that yeah that's a that's actually a really good example but they do both in that they have the, the that's true they play both kind of like of this external deck. somber layer yeah um which, which that's what like th- that's the part that I don't know really how to describe it. Like it, it's always told from outside of the perspective of the person we're watching. Yeah. That's that's how I feel about war movie films. Is like we're 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 seeing the director's somber attitude in in terms of the treatment, right? The director's somber attitude towards war in general. Yeah. Right. And we're having to as a we're having layer to on kind top. of like right. We're kind of having to like dig through that layer to get to the character and make like and find like context clues and like I, I would say in terms of the treatment in the in the hurt locker even though that's one of my favorite uh war films yeah right um in terms of the treatment like it, it's not very clear um that the character enjoys war i mean if you take the plot it's very clear right yeah you know he just keeps going back right but in terms of in terms of the treatment itself right like kind of the shots the music um the colors right it's not clear uh, and like i feel like it's very uh objective and you're kind of seeing this war through the through the uh lens of an external observer i right? yeah you know and, this is i'm sorry to interrupt you go ahead yeah no go ahead um no, you, you can go ahead. this is something that i've sort of almost talked about in a different way beforehand on this podcast i think where uh you know, I've said this several times. I jokingly refer to what I want to do as being a propagandist, but I specifically told the message about what inspired this thought in my head was a great writing teacher I had, one of my two favorite or three favorite teachers at my film school, hmm. said, You don't just want to write your message into the movie, you want to give the counter argument. Otherwise, it's propaganda. And that always never stuck right with me because I was like, no, I'm doing all this fucking work to tell the fucking truth, to tell my fucking message. Like, like if anything, I'm just going to add in more about how wrong the other side is. Are you kidding me? And, (laughs) but like, as I've had this thought and I've watched more films and studied films, one thing that sort of has been revealed to me is 
I think movies are better when they're polarizing. And part of what you're saying here, at least the way I would re-communicate it is, they're they're playing both sides of the board and sort of defeating them. Yeah, once they're following these soldiers, whatever movie it might be, 1917, something else, and you're seeing them do right. these great feats, and sometimes they might be happy about it, sometimes they might be sad about it, but they're layering it in this sort of, as we're saying, the somber nobility sort of thing, how sad and depressing this all has to be in the first place, you know? And it's like self-defeating. Yeah. It's like, I just want them to go almost one way or the other, you know? Like, it's like diffusing that yeah, energy. Yeah. It's like either go full anti-war on me or, you know, let's enjoy it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I would say, I would, just to build on top of that, I, I, w- I would say to that teacher, like, um, well, what you should do is add both arguments, but have a clear uh, direction that you're going, right? Like prove why one of them is right and one of them is wrong. Exactly. Right. Um, and and I, he probably meant that, you know, I, w- I would assume, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Um, I don't think so. Did I have this teacher with you? I, uh, yeah. you no. Well, yes, we did have this teacher together at one point. Okay. okay. But I think he genuinely, so meant, <laughs> he genuinely meant to give a very positive account of the other side. Because otherwise, it's right, still which, propaganda. Which doesn't necessarily make sense. It's right? still propaganda, uh, well, otherwise, right? So see, that's what it ha- that has to. I be would that. disagree with his statement, saying that I feel like I feel like the difference between pro- propaganda and like a um, argument, right, is that an an argument would present both sides and then present why one is right, right. Whereas I think propaganda just doesn't present the other side at all, right. Um, like I think that's I think that's why a lot of people look at Hollywood right now and say, oh, that's why that's propaganda, right? Because they're they're just not even presenting the other side. Yeah. Right. They're they're acting like it doesn't exist. And I, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about here, you know, like <laughs> in terms of like an example of that. Um No, I get you. I think everyone uh, I'll bring it up if we see it in a Hollywood movie, but um they, they do this a lot where like um their whole idea is that they want to uh present an idea with zero opposition. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, so they don't even have to prove why it's right. Um, they just want you to think that this is the way the world is. Yeah. And, you know, for adults, that doesn't really work, but for children, it really, really does, you know? And I think that's why a lot of people are a little upset, um, at Hollywood right now for, you know, making kids movies that are like that. Sure. Um, I mean, but to bring it back to like these war movies as well, what I mean about like be polarizing is not even necessarily to, you know, just turn people off, but you're, you reveal a lack of conviction about your own message when you have to qualify it every other time you bring it up. You know what I mean? Every moment of triumph sure. needs to be accompanied by a moment of somberness of the fallen ally, you know, and so on and so forth. It's right. Well, it's almost like they're not even taking a side, right? Exactly. They're too worried. And I mean, I feel like they're a little, that, that's afraid. almost what I meant by like, I feel like they're removing themselves because they haven't been in it. I feel like it might be a defensive stance, right? Where, yeah. Like they, they don't want to be bold and take a stance on it. So they're just going to be like, well, I'm just going to, this is like my perspective on war. Like, I don't know if it's right or not, but here's yeah. what the soldiers think, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's the very um, mainstream it, acceptable. <laughs> right. Right. They're trying to be as, uh, as politically correct as possible. Yeah. You know, but this movie doesn't fucking do that. And no, it's very, fucking brutal. yeah, it's, it's brutal and it's enjoyable and it's fun. And even though that there are moments where, people die horrifically like good people allies it's done 
not in that somber way, but in like you pointed out at the very beginning, like a horror movie. And it has all the feelings that make you feel scared and horrified as opposed to, right. oh, no, this is what our troops went through in, in World War Two. The tragedy. How tragic. Can't we just all yeah. get along on this earth? Wouldn't that be so simple? So, yeah. I, and my, my least favorite thing is when the music reflects that. Yeah. You know, it's just it's so like. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like it almost uh, it almost has this like kind of spit in the face quality to the people that went through that, you know, where like when, when you present it as this like horrible, sad thing, you know, like and you completely remove their perspectives and be like, wow, wouldn't it be better if like this didn't happen? Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's also just like no shit, Sherlock. Like, I mean, like, right. yeah. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, what are you, a three year old? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, of course, the world would yeah. be better with that war. Just grow right. up. Like, fuck me. So. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I want to make a pro-war movie. It's like, just be contrarian and just like stick the middle finger in these people's faces and be like, no, actually, war is good. Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, that'd be funny. Ugh. Uh, anyways, getting calls from a uh, war, war <laughs> Yeah, graduating. Yeah, they can finance my new <laughs> studio. Fuck it, let's do it. Uh, uh, I'll get some of that military-industrial right. complex money, man. <laughs> uh, but um, anyways, the uh, Overlord. Yeah. Um, um sound design. I wouldn't no, say that. This, I wouldn't say that this is a masterpiece, right? Sure. Like, oh no, it's not. Um, may, Maybe, you know, like maybe as a in its own genre, but like I haven't seen many war horror films. So, yeah, no, it's a um, very good, very, very good movie. I mean, bordering on possibly. Great, yeah, but I, I, I would I would actually put it in the great. Like, I, I didn't see anything glaringly wrong with it. And I thought there were a lot of really good scenes. Yeah. If I call um, a movie great, it's more of a, a personal taste thing for me. Very good. It's sure, like sure. there's nothing wrong with it for me. Right. Like, everything's good. I, th- I think. I think like the one thing, the one the one thing that I would say that stops this movie from being a masterpiece, and I feel like it actually had the potential to be one, um, is kind of like depth in the insight. Yeah, it's, yeah, right. No, you you hit it on the head. The insight's a very. Uh, let's actually put the brakes on going over the insight. I want to talk about. Sure. Oh shit. I had what I wanted to talk about. and it was Okay, now I have it. So they bring up the insight immediately in the fucking opening plane scene. Um, it revolves around a question and then they answer the question in the movie. Um, which is, can, you know, essentially it's whole, it's, it's Nietzsche's thing, right? Can, to beat the monster, you must become the monster, that sort of thing. You know, they get their whole, uh, their sergeant gives them the whole spiel about how the Nazis are... Bat, motherfucking bastard monsters and you need to out monster them and so on but we'll put that on hold yeah the exposition in this film uh in general for a film that presents itself as layering around sort of um objectives quite literal objectives mm-hmm. with the military and so on and the different problems they encounter that must be solved i thought the exposition in this film was really great I thought it was pretty fantastic. It's just, it's there and it works and it's so natural. The opening scene, you get all the little character quirks. Yes. You get all the little character quirks. It's delivered through the acting. It's delivered physical through the physicality. Um, Mm -hmm. 
You know, and that's one of the great things about genre films is you see a lot more of this sort of thing in there. You see a lot more, surprisingly, right? You actually see more illustration of craft in something that would be properly referred to as like a pure genre film than a lot of times right, you do right. in things that wouldn't receive that term. Um, where sure. you see all these, this sort of masterfully, very smoothly executed exposition, editing, sound design, right? And... And you know, that's one of my favorite things is good exposition. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about <laughs> it while watching it. I was like, yeah. and they, you know, they're just setting everything up. They're setting everything up so mm-hmm. smoothly and they're giving you all the info you need when you need it. It's the perfect amount too. Yeah. Like, you know, they don't overdo it. They don't underdo it. And then the, that last 30 uh, minutes, right? They just, they just pay it all off in one big rush, mm-hmm. you know, it's just great. Yeah. You know, this is the exact kind of film that you should be watching, um, to study how to do something like this. Uh, and yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so just to, just to like back watching something, a hold bit. on, watching something like hunger, yeah, yeah. you know, as great as that is. And as you might, as much as you can learn, like this is like much more like the filmmaking one one thing to watch in my opinion, overlord is than like hunger is. So, and I, w- I would actually say that the exposition might be the weakest part of hunger. Yeah. Well, um, just in general, it's like, you know, hunger is like, you gotta, you know, like you, you gotta understand what rules he's breaking, like before you can right, even right. get it, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but like, but in terms of like expository stuff, in and honestly, actually, this is this is the case with any like kind of historical film or autobiographical film, which is why like our last episode was so short, right? Is I think I think you can just kind of skip over exposition because you kind of assume that everyone knows what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the time they'll just use things like, you know, radio clips from the day or like just uh, newspaper articles, you know, headlines, that kind of stuff. And they'll just throw those in there as replacement for exposition. Yeah. And um, it's because it's the world we live in. So they kind of just assume that, like, you know, you should know it to some degree. Yep. Right. Um, And not to say that they're wrong, but in terms of just like a, a craft sense. Right. Um, it really just, uh, in my opinion, puts the damper on the ex- like the expository train. Yeah, and it, it, <laughs> you know, part of the right? reason for that as well is because when you're doing exposition well, right, you're putting multiple layers into everything, right? So, but the reason you're doing the exposition in the first place is probably for one big reason, and then you layer it all together. So if you no longer have that big reason, you're sort of fucking yourself a little bit because you're going to get all those little things that you would have tied in so nicely and so smoothly, you, you know. It's not in your mind to even do that anymore, in a sense. So right, right, and and actually, we we just watched a film, Possessor, where uh, we were going to do an episode on it, and then uh, decided not to. Yeah, um, where we were just talking about this because the this film has so much exposition for something that just isn't part of the film. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, it, it it ends up fall in our opinion, kind of falling flat on its face because, um, like the two halves of the film don't really line up, right? Um, yeah. Like the film should have either been thirty minutes long, um, and just kind of like cut all that exposition, or, um, like thirty minutes longer, and you know, yeah, pay all that exposition off. Um. Otherwise, you know, what are you telling a story about? But. I think you kind of nailed it on the head with the inside. I would, I would say that at the end, the whole idea is that they rise above the, above the monster, you know? Um, yeah. And that like the, the, maybe the way to put it would be to like, to rise above the monster. You must be willing to like 
sacrifice oneself because i feel like the whole ending is about sacrifice you know from every character yeah it's it's Um, interesting you know you said you point out that the insight being the weakest part of the film i agree and it relates to what we were saying earlier if there's something that's sort of conflicting here it's the insight for me it is about can you out monster the monster we have the main character he's set up as someone who is not a monster he didn't kill a mouse in the army base when he was ordered by a sergeant to do it you know he doesn't want to torture the nazi captain you know um all this sort of thing he's surrounded by this horrific stuff and he doesn't want out monster the monster he's got uh a corporal or whatever the rank was that's in charge of him yeah uh that is very much committed in sort of like cynical becoming the monster yeah Yeah. uh, with his sort of experience and comment about now you got to do everything you possibly can do to beat these motherfuckers and so you reach the ending right and the literal he literally becomes yeah, a monster right because <laughs> yeah. they're they become these half zombie half demon half you know crazy occultic creature things um they're making an army of you know nazi zombies essentially right so the captains become one because they shot his face off and he was going to die otherwise and so our leader of our american soldiers you know is going to die and they're going to lose the fight. So he stabs himself with a drug to become the guy. So he out monsters the monster. But at the same time, yeah. it's about overcoming that. So right. once again, like there's a little bit of like, there's a little bit of dissonance there. You know what I mean? And he does go, he yeah. does go like, okay, you got to blow it up. You know, you got to blow up this lab and you can't tell our side about it because our well, side th- can't have the I mean, side. I feel like I, that's, I felt like the final note was about like, self-sacrifice to like rise above the monster yeah right um because you have that from funny essentially enough i feel like the main character is the only one that you don't really have that from exactly he's the only one that never goes Um, for the monster but like you have that out of the captain where like he you know he literally becomes the monster and like decides that he also needs to die because you know he became a monster and then you have this guy that was pretending to be like super tough the whole time like sacrifice himself for the kid right so i like if even though that's all hollywoodized and we talked about that like i see why it was in the yeah and if i'm being charitable right i can be charitable here and i can say like oh you know there's no dissonance you know i'm just being i'm just being an asshole and essentially what it is is like yeah you can out monster the monster but only if you have something authentic that you're fighting and sacrificing for right oh and that solves the whole problem right i just feel like it should have been illustrated a little bit better that was that was one of my yeah well and um, and i think i think I agree with you. And I think, I think the main problem with that is that we don't see it reflected in our, in our main character. Yep. Right. Um, and like, I feel like his journey goes from like, Oh, I'm not going to hurt a mouse to like bashing in that guy's face, you know, after he becomes a monster. Um, and then he's like kind of okay. Killing people. Yeah. You know? And then like, that's kind of the end of his character arc in my opinion. Yeah. As much as I really like our main character, he you know now that you point that out there is a uh he does sort of lack an arc like a a nice fulfilling cathartic arc well he has a great arc in the first half of the film yeah you know like he's he's actually a very interesting character for the first half of the film but even think of like um and, our our wise guy or like a what italian american wisecracking soldier even he has, yeah, he has a, a more fulfilling film. arc uh with saving the yeah. the boys is you know the end point of it so right it right. is interesting um but I kind of felt like we had a really good arc for the main character in the first half of the film. And in the second half of the film, it was all the corporal guy. Yeah. Right. Uh, Ford. Right. 
so like it, it kind of just switches i feel like we just kind of like switch focus without um switching actually switching perspectives sure right which i don't know that that kind of felt a little uh like i felt like there wasn't enough um coming from the main character at the end to uh really drive that insight home and i feel like if if we saw something from the main character that kind of reflected this like this movie would have been like a fucking home run yeah you know because i don't really think it's not that the insights i know we might have said this but i don't think it's that the insight's too simple you know um because because it's not something that's obvious to people Mm. right um but uh that that's why i think that it feels simple is because like the the main character goes through like no uh change at the end and like not to say that there's no character development because i literally hate that criticism even though it's sometimes valid right (laughs) but i feel like it's the it's the textbook criticism for critics that don't know what they're talking about sure um but I would argue that in terms of like development of this character, right. He has this amazing arc in the first half of the film. And it's just like, he's becomes stagnant for the second half. He becomes like a outside observer almost, even though he's involved in all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it's simple either. I think it, it's really just, um, about. Can I, can I, Oh yeah. Before I lose, lose this. Um, actually something, something that did this perfectly. Right where you have two two characters that were essentially like main characters and then you have like this perspective switch in the middle and you have the other character grow and then the other character kind of like fall off is Sicario. Yeah. Right. Um, and you have this growth of the main character through the first half of the film. Right. And then in the last like 20 minutes, we switch characters to this uh, hitman, Right. But the insight of the film is reflected by leaving this character where she was and then coming back to her with this new ca- with this new character that we've been following. Yeah. Right. And having this final interaction between the two. Yep. Right. So if this, if this like for, and I think, I think that overlord could have done something like that by potentially um, like if they were talking about overcoming the monster, maybe instead of having like, you know, the corporal corporal Ford or whatever his name is, take the whole brunt of the message and carry it on his shoulders. Like they could have, they could have shown it through an interaction between the main character and Ford where like Ford does go full monster and the main character is forced to take his life. Yeah. I mean, literally that would have been great. Literally they have a untold. I love that idea. Uh, That would have been great, but they have an untold amount of creative possibilities here. And that's really what I just said earlier was just like, I just wish they were a little bit more creative or, illustrative was the word i used with with their insight really that's the main thing if they just fleshed right. it out a little bit right. more i think you know my that's really my critique of the movie it was yours apparently too so i think we're we're on to something then <laughs> um mm, yeah. was the insight did feel off to some degree i like the insight it's a cool thing to talk about but yeah i think yeah that's great yeah but all in all, like, I really thought this movie was great. Like, it, they did they did so much that was good. And, you know, they actually had a good insight. And, like, you know, just because they didn't nail it and make it a masterpiece doesn't mean that it's a bad movie. Nope. We just got to find <laughs> you know? something. And, <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. it's one of those films that I could, I could see why some, like, kind of, like, pseudo-intellectual people would bash it. Yeah. You know, because it's, it would be easy to bash, right? 
like even if you didn't really know what was wrong at the end right like it's you would probably just chalk it up to the movie being a simple like hollywood blockbuster and you can just say oh it's just a dumb blockbuster yeah. money grab right and lesser like pe- people that are like um you know less educated in film might just believe you sure you know because at the end they didn't really feel anything profound either yep right um and it sucks because like there was definitely something profound there it's just it just yeah. it didn't shine in movies it. movies that don't uh that aren't either genuinely clever or genuinely um uh genuinely uh artistic or even or even maybe they're none of those things but they make an attempt at being obtuse or so on, right? These movies sort of shield themselves mm-hmm. from these kind of critiques in a way. Right. Um, because the whole thing about that is, from my point of view, is sort of like trying to be clever, right? Like when a when a, a pseudo-intellectual, as you put it, is coming at this movie, yeah. this movie does not have its shield up from that. You know what I mean? Like no, the movie not. we watched, Possessor, Holy shit! That thing's wearing plated fucking armor, because you don't you, you're not going to try to out clever that movie because that entire movie is drenched, is absolutely marinated in this obtuse sense of oh you're not getting it, are you? That's on you. You're not getting it, um, right? Well, it, but this think, movie is honest and it has its heart bearing yeah. out there, you know, and so it's easy for someone to you know go in there and you know be clever about how horrible it is which is always what they do right right well and and i think the way that i would put that is that um if you meet someone and they're talking about film and you they can't differentiate the difference between something that's complex and convoluted yeah right that's a big red flag that they don't know what they're talking about right um and i i guess in, in terms of a convoluted movie right like I think it, the onus is usually on the director to to give the audience as complex of a subject as uh, as they have to, right, in the most simple way they can. Sure. Right? Um, because your goal is to have the audience understand what you're saying, right? And sometimes what you're saying is profound and complicated, right? Look at Blade Runner. Wind Rises. Right? By Villeneuve. Like, we had to talk about that movie for hours and hours and hours and hours before we started understanding it right um and but it was it was all laid out there for us right and once the pieces started falling in they started falling in really fast right the problem with um convolution in film is that um you have people that take a very simplistic idea and explain it to you in a way that is extremely uh windy and not to the point yeah right and it's it's a it's what you said it's armor right it's it's this um it's this barricade from criticism from these these types of people that will come in and like bash your movie for not being profound yeah these are the sort of people that take these sort of pseudo-intellectual the term you're using uh uh approach to filmmaking to heart you know in a sense and so they definitely do not want to get cleverly dunked on you know so (laughs) yeah so because they're afraid of getting dunked on when something feels like it doesn't make sense yeah um they just pretend they just become extremely agreeable right they just start agreeing with everything and they're like oh yeah no that movie was so great yep yep yep. right and that's all they say about it right and they're just waiting for you to say something about it so they can agree with you Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Um, and you'll meet tons of people like this out in the world. There's this is why you uh, need to no, wildly change your opinions on thing mid conversation just to throw people <laughs> just to see if they continue to agree yeah. with you. I've done that so much. It's it, it's it's one of the best strategies of finding out if someone's. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, having a uh, having a um. This is one of those films, and I would say that Prometheus is another one of them. That it, this is this is a good kind of like way to take someone's uh, temperature for what kind of film film watcher they are, you know? Because like I I really don't think there's there's any reason to dis. Or, I mean, if you dislike it, that's one thing. But any reason to think that this movie was bad? Yeah. Right. Um. I don't know. It's it just it was good all around in, in terms of uh, craftsmanship right it had a pretty decent insight um i would say a lot better than most hollywood films oh yeah um and really the only issue was just their uh their slamming at home at the end right yep. um they won the game then, you know, they set themselves up for a home run they didn't hit the home run but they won yeah. the fucking game you know and you just want to yeah, see exactly. them hit the home run and you, you can't complain about yeah, that yeah you can't yeah. We just have to because we have a podcast. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's true. But like, and and we're also filmmakers, so like, we want to we want to try to yeah, we want to understand. You know, we want to know why. Right. Um. Like, if if my life wasn't about film, I probably wouldn't give a shit or even talk about it. I would just this would be, you know, a movie that I really like. Yep. Um. Which you know, it still is a movie that I really like. I was very excited to watch it again. Um. Because I, I saw this film in theaters and I was like raving about it afterwards, just mostly about like treatment and stuff. Cause you know, I didn't really, uh, I, I don't think I really picked up on the insight in theaters just cause they didn't slam it home in my face or anything. Yep. You know, but, uh, yeah, no. Um, well, let's see. As far as I see yeah, it, that's... unless you have anything other the two things really left that we haven't dived into are the sound and the music um yeah in terms of the music i didn't like i felt like it was a pretty standard like standard uh like horror yeah uh, well, score right they they had like the high high dissonant strings as like they walked down a narrow corridor you know yeah. um that kind of thing uh it, it was I'd, I'd say more for effect less for music sake yep i agree um but it was well done. Uh, who did, who did the music though? Uh, that's what I wanted to point out here. Let's see his name. Jed Cruzel, who has actually done a pretty good chunk of movies. He did the Macbeth movie. He did the Babadook. He did alien covenant, the assassin's creed movie. Okay. So he's actually done. Sounds films. like he's, he's very uh, into horror films and he, that one Macbeth director probably likes him. Cause he also did the assassin's creed. Movie. Exactly. Uh, in slow West. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it seems like he yeah. gets a little typecast for things on the, horror side uh which makes sense yeah you know that's like a very niche market to be in yep. the horror music industry um i suppose while we're at looking over various crews uh it is important to or at least interesting to point out we had a dual cinematographer team on this movie oh um okay fabian wagner or wagner i'm not sure how he pronounces it and Lori rose so that'd be interesting that's something i probably should have Ooh. looked up before the podcast but I wonder if one of them got fired something? or something or, you know what I mean? Or if they generally yeah. work together. Could I say something about the uh, cinematography really quick? Yeah. Um, I felt like a lot of it was pretty standard, but 
their medium shots were like fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so good. Like just in terms of, in, in terms of reading into the emotion of a scene, yeah, you know, the way that they framed their characters and stuff was just perfect. Right. Like I, I, I loved some of the stuff that they did. And like one of the immediate ones that come to mind are like, you know, after, after the girl was almost assaulted, right? it was assaulted actually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like you have this like very uh i think the medium shot was like a little downwards angles but it like she was kind of floating off the frame like you know like she didn't really know how to react to the situation like it it was so like uh devoid of um immediate reaction you know like i i loved it a lot and it kind of like created this sense of like relief and hesitation you know like yeah <laughs> um it was really good. And then also like when, when, uh, when the main character is walking down the hall towards, uh, the ants room. Yeah. The- right. How he's kind of like on one side of the frame and you have a lot of space behind him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, o- almost like he's, he's going somewhere where he's not supposed to, like he's, he's like pulling the frame along with him, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I loved that. Um, and I think, I think this film did a really good job at medium shots, which I think is actually kind of cool because medium shots, in my opinion, are some of the hardest to work with. You know, like I think it's really easy to make extreme close-ups and wides look amazing. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, um, but the medium shot, it's so easy to make it look so bad. <laughs> you know, and like if you go to any film school festival, like you will immediately see the media, like the medium shot is the Achilles heel of most cinematographers, in my opinion. Sure. You know. Um, so much so that like I feel like a lot of cinematographers cinematographers end up avoiding it, mm. you know, um, because you know it looks quote unquote too standard or whatever, um, you know, but yeah, no, I, I just I, I thought that was cool. Yeah, when it comes to the cinematography and the editing, which by the way was done by Matt Evans, who did the Cloverfield Paradox, um. I will say what I have said about the film from the beginning of the episode. It was just a very smooth, um, sort of like perfect representation of like craft well done. You know, I think of mm-hmm. the scene with the boy dropping the ball down the stairs with the Nazis, just the, the, the edits there. It's so it's, you know, you have a negative connotation of the word simple. I'm going to say simple. I mean it positively, but yet it's so well done. Um, mm-hmm. I think of in even just those fast action scenes. Think about like the when after you know he infects his buddy and has to smash his zombie brain in, and the, the Nazi captain right, right. has to run outside the house. You just have really quick editing with really great uh, eye lines and different angles being cut together really fast to give you this really great information. All with these really right, good right. nice shots of this action, and it's all done probably in less than a you know thirty seconds. I just you know mm-hmm. it's just so nice. Once again, it's just like a a textbook movie, like I said, like just, you know, you could just watch this. You could spend like a month studying this movie and that'd probably be better than what most people get out of film school. So that's actually very true. Yeah. And honestly, film, I think films like this are the best things to study in terms of like films that are great, but not masterpieces. Like they have a couple things that are wrong with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Are in my opinion, the best things to study to become better at film yeah. because like they're, they're showing you great craftsmanship, Right. Um, but, but it, it almost leaves like an opening for you to see, uh, see the structural components of it, yeah. right. In, in where they like did, might've done something not so great or, uh, wrong yeah. maybe. Right. 
Whereas like when I watch a masterpiece, it takes so long to garner anything from it because it's so airtight. Yeah. You know, like everything works together so well that like it, it's so hard to see it as a film and to like really dissect it. And you're really, it's, it's, this is why I think people that only watch masterpieces are often the worst filmmakers. Yeah. Right. Is because like thinking that you can easily like figure out exactly what these filmmakers are doing and thinking like these masters, yeah. like, like <laughs> taking a Denny Villeneuve film and like being like, Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. like, that's all I watch. Cause like, that's the kind of film I want to make. The only thing that you're going to end up doing is emulating. Yeah. Them, right. Because you can only see it from the outside. You can't see the inner workings and because, because it's such an airtight film. Yeah. Right. Um, the technique is not with, as with things that have, right, right, right. With things that have little holes in them. Right. It, it's, it almost becomes easier to see. Yeah. There are little uh, openings to see learn the creators. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, um one, one thing I, I said, eye lines there. I want to expound upon that real side. Yeah. That's actually the incorrect word to use. I didn't mean eye lines in, sen- in, in the sense of, um, you know, the character's eyes and making sure they're on the right side of the frame, sure. this sort of thing. They actually, it is actually a good representation of that. But what I meant um, was the thing of something I love in editing is when there's a fast editing, it has to do with where your eyes are on the frame. That's just one of the things oh, okay. I love okay. in a really great action scene is taking into account um, the reorientation of people's eyes uh, from, you know, from shot to shot, uh, and a really right. fast. So like a perfect example of this is Mad Max where like quite literally every shot in the movie is center punched, right? That's how you're able yeah, yeah. to go through all of that shit so fast. Right. But when you have a short little action scene like that, which has a really intense amount of shots and in it, but not only that with several characters from all different sorts of angles and you're able to convey that information right. so fast with good shots, with good action and so on and so forth. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just amazing to see something like that. So it's really nice. I, um, I think that's a hidden thing. Yeah, no. That's something I definitely been thinking about a lot, a lot more like in terms of framing. And maybe this is like mm-hmm. me realizing that I was shit at something beforehand, but like my <laughs> framing game, at least conceptually like shut way the fuck up as soon as I realized, Oh, like the primary thing. Well, one of the primary things I'm going to think of from now on is where the eyes were on the previous shot and where the eyes are going to be on this shot. Uh, I think that, yeah, Yeah. that helps. Yeah. So, um, all right. Um, but anyways, to, uh, jump to sound design, I think it's actually good to talk about this last because, If anything, if this film could be considered a masterpiece for any reason, it would be the sound design. Like, oh my God, it's so good. It's, it's amazing. Like it's immediately good. Not only it's immediately good too, you know, from the first scene. Yeah. Um, who was the sound, sound designer for this? I don't know. Let me pull it up. What company? Let's see. Uh, oh, look at that. Sound design is not listed. Oh, travesty. <laughs> Fuck me. Why is the sound design listed? It might be a company that did it. Well, I will start looking it up, but go for it. Um, but anyways, the, I, I think what really, really good sound design does is not just kind of have this, uh, sense of diegetic sound, but have this almost like, uh, 
non-diegetic uh, psychological sound, right? Where, where it's not so much that some sounds are um, like how they would sound in real life, but a lot of them are actually um, amplified or changed due to the psychology behind the scene. Yeah. Right. And I think that that is uh, like, like when you take for, for example, the, uh, um, the, the scenes where he's like walking down a hall slowly. Right. Mm -hmm. This is something that you see in horror movies a lot where they'll like amplify the sound of the footsteps and the floorboards. Right. Because in that moment that your sense of sound would be heightened in your head. Right. Um, stuff like that is really cool in my opinion and is really awesome to see in a war movie. And like, especially in the war scenes and stuff, right. Having kind of like, um, having this amplified more psychological sound behind it was very, very, um, um, exhilarating, especially in theaters. And I would say like, if you can watch this with a surround sound system, it's very much worth it. Yeah. Um, and this is something that's overlooked all the time, but like, I personally think that one of the things that makes uh, blockbusters enjoyable, so enjoyable is the sound design. Yeah. yeah. Sound yeah. is such a, uh, perfect shortcut it's not even a shortcut it's just like magical that it is a shortcut uh to emotion right. to emotional resonance um you know there's no there's nothing that you no no element of filmmaking you can use easier even though it's hard to do but easier in the the smoothest and the universe universality of its effect on people to get at the emotion right. of a particular scene that you want to get to so Right. That's great. Um, by the way, there's a whole host of sound people. I'm going to read off the sound editors mm -hmm. here. Two of them. Uh, sound effects editors. Christopher Bonis and Matt Yoakum. Uh, Matt Yoakum was Cloverfield Paradox, Detective Pikachu, The Invisible Man, Pet Cemetery, um, And then for Christopher Bonas, Frozen 2, The Invisible Man, Togo. Um, so. Okay. Not cool. really that well-known movies, but fuck, they did a great job. And uh, yeah. the mixer. Yeah. We, do we want to go over the mixer? No, go ahead. Uh, the mixer. ADR mixer? No. Um, oh, shit. There's Ken McGill. It was just a giant team. I, I really wish there was a better department head title for sound. You know what I mean? Right, um, right. But, I mean, kudos to all those people. Like, they, they did a great job with this. And, like, honestly, like, if like for any professional to watch any part of this movie, I would say like sound people like watch this movie. It's so good. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> the, the mixer was um, and uh, Danny Hambrook who did Rush atonement and uh, some Wallace and Gromit movies, a lot of big movies. So this doesn't surprise me. Okay, cool. But yeah, no, I, I just, I, the sound in this film was unbelievable. Um, and when I saw it in theaters, that was the first immediate thing that I noticed when they were flying in the ship and all the flat cannons were, like the sound design when they're getting shot at with the like machine guns, yeah, the bullet sounds are the so ship good. is yeah. Um, and I think that's what really sells a lot of these action scenes too, like the gunfight scenes. Um, yep. Sound man. It's, it's that, yeah, it's that so beautiful, beautiful shortcut. It just, it, it gets to that, the feelings of something so yeah. easily. Um, and the the only part that I thought was a little corny was the uh, the hook in the in Corporal Ford. Mm. The sound design on that was a little like squishy. Yeah, um, 
which whatever you know it's one thing but like um it it definitely emotionally it worked because like it, it made it feel so disgusting um, <laughs> um but uh it, it was uh, yeah no it was a little wet for my taste um uh all right but yeah no that was so watch it if you decided to ignore us about the spoiler warnings go ahead and watch it um we actually didn't ruin that much of the plot um so no, we didn't <laughs> i think you could still enjoy it so yeah. go watch it um we will of course have some sort of uh snippet that i can find probably hopefully with the director uh playing out here in a, a minute so you can stay and enjoy that make sure to subscribe to us in your podcast app of choice and we would normally say what movie we're going to be doing next but we're frankly sort of winging it um these last couple yep. of weeks so we'll get back onto a more detailed schedule that we'll share with you guys eventually but we're just making them for now so all right i think that's everything nick yep. all right well we'll see you guys next week see you bye Obviously, working with JJ was uh, was uh, really exciting, and um, the the script was uh, absolutely bonkers. When I read it, it was like uh, Indiana Jones and Acid, so I was I was in from the beginning. Um, but what I really uh, really impressed me about the script was the uh, the um, the characters, and uh, you know, I, I, f I feel like you know when you when you're gonna jump into hell, you gotta be behind the characters and and. For me, it was like there was a lot of emotion as well as like really cool, uh, messed up sci-fi horror action. The cast is the really ensemble uh, um, piece. You know, uh, everyone has their moment in the movie, and um, and what I love is they 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 all got along and they worked as a team. And when you're asking actors to uh, to to do intense stuff. Um, you um they really have to trust each other and and so so the only way you do that is by having everyone to support each other because you know when you drop the ball no one's going to laugh at you so you can keep keep trying and 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 going for something special and so all these guys got together and decided that they were going to help each other and 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 work it out and that made my job really easy she's from france we we cast cast her out of paris and um, what I loved about her audition is her, she had this ferocity about her and this, um, this real intensity. And um, the character of Chloe is this really kick-ass like action hero in her own right. And you know, I needed someone who could um, not only pull off really like um, uh, drama and, and you know, the intimacy, but also could pick up a machine gun and blast Nazis away, or a flamethrower. And you know, she was really, she really, um, you know, rose to the task. She wanted to do all her own stunts. It is a, a, a mashup, um, but you know, that's what makes it um, special and, and different. You know, for me, um, you know, an entertaining movie surprises you. And you know, when you when I first read the script, that's, I was completely, you know, surprised. I thought I was just going to be uh, reading, you know, a, a war movie, and and uh, and then when it took a, a sharp left turn, I was like, oh yeah, there were some clues along the way. I didn't pick on pick up on them in the first read, but 
um, you know, I thought it was really cool and interesting, and and for me, that's how I get entertained. If I go to if I go to a, a movie and and don't see something fresh and new, I'm I'm like, yeah, it was okay, but I've seen it before. This movie uh, has a, a a lot of big action, uh, and you know, we have uh, a massive um, you know uh, soundtrack, and you know, it's uh, it. To get the full immersive experience, I think you need to go see it on a big screen like IMAX or uh, Dolby, uh, Dolby Theatre, um, or you know, just at the theatre in general, um, because you know we've put a lot of time and effort into into you know uh, creating a, a big soundtrack, and um, yeah, so uh, and it's also it's a movie to go see with your your mates, you know, you got to experience this with an audience. It's a really fun, uh, you know, fun movie. It's a roller coaster ride, and who wants to get on a roller coaster ride by themselves? You know. <laughs>